0: Hi guys and welcome back to the Mighty Blues, my name is of course Cameron and welcome back today to another video. Welcome to the Park End podcast, this is our brand new podcast that we're starting on the channel, it'll be available on YouTube, on Spotify, on iTunes, hopefully all of the different podcasting platforms. This is something I've wanted to do for a long, long time. We were originally going to start it at the beginning of December, but then of course haven't had a, a whole list of, of fixtures to play. Um, and we were playing sort of every other day, so we had to put it off a little bit. We've got some brilliant graphics done by Joe, of course. And we're going to sit down and we're going to do the podcast today. i will talk a little bit about it, a little bit about the channel. If you don't know the YouTube channel, if you haven't watched us, if so this is the first time listening on Spotify or, or iTunes, we are an Everton fan channel on YouTube been running now since August 2018 um, so just over two years, be three years this August um, and we upload reviews, previews, reactions, news videos, live streams every single week the lot basically, the full shebang uh, weekly, daily, all over on our YouTube channel so this is just an extra something that hopefully we'll be doing you know, either weekly or every other week um, just to add to the regular of the content. It is called the Park End Podcast. Of course, it's a podcast around Everton Football Club, um, which is, of course, the whole subject of the channel as well. The reason it's called the Park End Podcast is because not only does it roll off the tongue and obviously is relevant to Everton Football Club, but I am 22 years old myself. My name is Cameron, in case this is the first time listening. Um, I've been going to watch Everton Football Club since I was six years old. I think I was six for my first game. It was Preston in the Carlin Club, I believe it was, sat in the top balcony, I had to leave the ground because uh, I just couldn't hack the, the loudness and the shouting and the screaming I had to leave, I think it was just after half time, um, but ever since then I've been absolutely obsessed with Everton Football Club, I've been a season ticket holder for over a decade, I've got my little gold badge and I've always had my season ticket next to my dad in the park, and now obviously I've, I've been trying to get my dad on the channel uh, to talk Everton Football Club, ever since I started it really, you know, nearly three years ago but he's always been quite hesitant about it and um, but i thought you know what what better way to start a brand new podcast on the channel is to bring on the man who has made me an evertonian who is the reason for my 22 years of uh hate and happiness and roller coaster of emotions that is everton football club and that is my dad jeff jeff big big thanks for coming on today Really, really do appreciate it. We're going to talk about your Everton story because obviously it, it's not like mine and, and many others, you know, whereas it's the usual, I'm an Evertonian because my father's an Evertonian and his father's an Evertonian, that's mine, um, but your father wasn't an Evertonian, so it's a little bit different for you. We're going to talk about your first game, watching Everton in the in the 70s, the 80s, the good times, the bad times, all of that sort of good stuff. So firstly, I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll get straight into it. Um. You know, Like I said, it wasn't the usual, you grew up an Evertonian because your father was an Evertonian, was it? How did you become an Evertonian? What sort of led you down that path? And and what's kept you for for so long supporting this great football club?
1: Well, um, nice to uh, be featured on your first podcast, Cam. Um, Looked as I have been, (laughs) take to social media, but nevertheless, um, it's nice to be here uh my story goes back to the 60s when uh and where i was born i was um born and spent the early part of my life on saint domingo vale uh in a large shared house with other members of my family and it was approximately about two to three hundred yards away from rupert's tower so that was my very first link with Everton, if you like. Um, we were moved out as a family to Norris Green, as part when they knocked down all the slums, um, and I grew up mostly in uh, spent more my early life in Norris Green. And um, sort of my midlife, as I said, my uh, my initial um, a, my initial birth was um, Saint Domingo. Um, I grew up one of six kids in a family of eight. Um, and every single member of my family was a Red. Um, my dad was a Red, um, although not an uh, avid footballer, uh, football follower. He was a Red, as was my mum. And my second oldest brother, uh, David, he went the match, as did my Uh, older sister Susan uh, they went to Anfield to watch Liverpool so as a child growing up I was somewhat in a uh, mixed environment shall we say Um, little to no involvement with Evertonians but a very clear sort of um, idea early on that I didn't want to be a Liverpoolian Um, I don't know why but that's just the way it was in order as time marched on, as I got a little bit older, my uh, brother David decided to uh see whether he could actually make me follow the other lot, uh, I won't use their name. Um, and in that ilk, he took me to uh Anfield, and um, I stood on the cop with him watching Liverpool. I can't remember, uh. Who they played or what the result was, uh, but it didn't do anything for me. Um, and more or less that was that was it as far as um, football was concerned. I didn't follow Liverpool after going the match, and I was still in limbo. And then I, from memory, it, it, I think it must have been about I don't know six months later, five months later my one of my uncles who was a diard evertonian and sat in the upper Gladys Street uh, my uncle Billy um, decided that he wanted to try and introduce me to Evan Football Club um I think uh, trying to recruit me um, at that early age because you could see I wasn't automatically going to follow what the uh, the rest of the family were into. Um, so it took me, um, I think, um, I was age seven. Um, it was to watch Everton play Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, no, Sheffield, Sheffield United. United. yeah. Yeah. Uh, in November 67. Um, Everton won 1-0. Um, Alex Young scored. The Holy Trinity went were, were, were on show. Alan Ball. And from that point on I was an Evertonian um, I don't know I don't know how to explain it uh, in, in in any other terms other than I went to see the other lot didn't sit right wasn't comfortable um, then I went to see Everton and, and automatically I was sort of uh, indoctrinated into the the Everton religion, and it's been like that for, um, well, let me just see. I'm 61 now, so a little while.
0: (laughs) And you were born at at a really good time to be an Evertonian, really. You mentioned your first game there, Sheffield United, 19... Sixty-seven. Not only did the Holy Trinity play in that game, and um, Joe Royal played in that game as well. Alex Young played in that game. He scored. You mentioned, I think Gordon West was was the goalkeeper at that time as well. So being born in in the sort of late sixties, obviously you see in the back end of of some great Everton sides, some really successful Everton sides. Like we mentioned, the Holy Trinity, Joe Royal, Alex Young. You then obviously lived the the eighties when you were you know in your twenties and and a, you know obviously a, a real established fan at that point, going in the game constantly. Watching 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 Everton, watching Everton win European competitions. So you really, you you were born into it, into a good time to be an Evertonian, and you were born into an Everton that uh, was successful. And you know, we'll go on to talking about the eighties in in just a moment. But I suppose, you know, certainly for me as as a twenty-two-year-old Evertonian, I was born just before David Moyes joined the football club, but I can only really remember Moyes onwards and. Ever since then, it's, you know, it's been a lot of mediocrity, it's been a lot of mid-table finishes, not awful, but not great. You know, we've had a couple of off-seasons where we might have finished in the Champions League for for, for an occasion, or finished fifth under Roberto Martinez, but it's been very sort of in and around the middle. Um, so, obviously, being, you know, born into a, a great Everton side, I suppose... You didn't know anything else growing up as than Everton being quite successful. I mean, we'll talk about the 90s as well in a bit when it went really, really down downwards and obviously we just about survived relegation. Um, so, you know, successful Everton was what you knew, wasn't it? And, you know, I suppose when you're seeing your football club win Sophie's, it, it must be a great feeling certainly growing up as, as a kid.
1: Well, it was a, a different time. I remember uh, at that time uh, Joe Royal. Lived in Norris Green, grew up in Norris Green, lived with his mum in Norris Green, and I remember with a couple of mates going round to his house, which was literally he has the crow flies maybe I don't know a thousand yards from where I lived, and knocking on the door, and he had very thick blue velvet curtains. Um, on, on the house and his mum answered the door and I asked to speak to him and Joe came to the door and that sort of level of contact with your heroes is something you'll you know you're unlikely to ever see again it was just a time and a place thing you know um, even the mere fact that you could go out wandering the streets as a child and it was safe as something that's frowned upon these days let alone going to knock on, 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 you know, footballers' doors and speaking to him and his mum. Um so it was a different time, but even throughout that time, Everton Everton have always had periods of success and then periods of struggle, you know. Um I remember times when um certainly through the, you know, the Walter Smith years and and the relegation fights and battles and and, and the get down to Goodison songs played on the radio and, and trying to get people to actually go the game. Everton had some very, very difficult times. Um, and there's no doubt about it, but you know, from, for, for old fans, we, these are the things that, um, make you stronger. And if you can cope with all that and you don't change and you don't follow something that is just a success machine, um, it makes you more of a supporter, in my personal view. Um, you know, the, it's getting through the hard times that make the good times feel even better. So, yeah, there were good times. There was certainly good times in, in, in the 80s when we had, you know, um, a football team that was the envy of, of, of lots, um, you know, the best in Europe. Um, You know, winning trophies, playing attractive football, uh, having a a group of players who were all playing at the peak at the right time all together. But, you know, even within all that, I remember games where uh, I think it was Leeds where Neville Southall at Goodison came out and, and, you know, we were getting battered and, and came out. Before the second half started, and just sat at the post of his own, um, more or less, demonstrating the fact that you know he's um, killing himself here to to to, to keep this the scoreline uh, down, and he wants the same commitment from other players. So, there are, and that's I suppose the same with every club. There'll be times when you'll be you know fantastic, and uh, you know look at Arsenal, uh, and there'll be times when you won't be as good. Um, and you see the strength and the quality of your fan base during the worst of those periods of time. And, you know, um, I like to think that the capacity to be able to get over those things and see uh, see the other side is uh, what drives you on. I know you've not seen Evan win anything. And the last time I saw Evan win something was the 95 FA Cup, uh, which I went to, but even that year we were almost relegated. That year, you know, we were certainly not the favourites to beat Man United um, in that game. So, it, it, they, they it comes in 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 uh, in swings and roundabouts, and and that's the same for every team. It's very difficult to maintain a level of success. Uh, consistently, there will always be challenges, and, and and it's how you get through them. And I think, you know, and we may go on to speak about Everton's challenges in the years since the eighties, and you know, we, we we can blame events and political parties and this, that, and the other for you know the if but maybes of what we could have achieved, but you know, the the reality is. Um, it's sucked to be us at that point, move on, you know, you can't change those things. So so you've got to move on and you've got to change and you've got to develop and you've got to uh, become the same as everybody else because everybody else is, you know, and by everybody else, I mean sort of the top four or five favourite clubs, they are the ones that get all the attention, both financially and the media and television and, you um, sponsorship and investment and so on and so forth and you know getting up there and keeping track of that is is a hugely difficult thing and and and, you know Everton i think are now getting back on that on on that sort of um, wavelength but it's taken a long time to get there
0: yeah Spot on, spot on and, and later on in the in the podcast we'll go on to talk about Carlo Ancelotti and the effect that he's having currently on Everton Football Club and will continue to have on Everton Football Club in terms of what you said there about breaching those... You know, top sides and being in and around the conversation for finishing in the Champions League and finishing, you know, top of the Premier League. And a lot of people have a lot to say about, you know, the media coverage and uh, surrounding Everton Football Club and some of the negativity that we get thrown about. And, you know, I personally believe, and, and I think a lot of Evertonians believe, that that's because we're the nearest to breaking into that bracket of top, upper echelon clubs and, you know, some media Journalists shall we say, and um, publications don't necessarily like that because they like the you know the same clubs you Man United them law Chelsea to be up there They didn't like it when City done it either hence why the entire your whole financial fair play and um, was brought into play because nobody wanted Certainly nobody you know is sort of uh, in the upper ends of football in this country wanted somebody like a Man City to come in Get loads of money, get loads of investments, and go and win the league. Uh, because it just, you know, at the end of the day, Manchester City are as global in terms of brand wise as somebody like a Manchester United is. You mentioned something there about um, seeing Everton in, you know, in the good times and the bad times, and that's what mould you to become. You know, a, a fan based off of emotion rather than based off of just enjoying seeing your club winning things, and that's something that you instilled in me ever since I was started going the game. Obviously, you know, we we'll speak. Uh, a little bit later on about Wayne Rooney and and David Moyes and those days of sort of just Everton hovering in and around you know always playing in, in the European Cup uh UEFA Cup it was called and um. When David Moyes was here, and then sort of obviously falling out of it and finishing in there a couple of times under Martinez and Coombe, etc. But you always used to say to me, no matter what the result was, we go and we, you know, I've seen us beating Man United a number of times, Chelsea a number of times, Arsenal, everybody. I've seen us win Merseyside derbies, the games we won, but it was the games we lost, those games where we turned up and we were beaten by Palace or we were beaten by even Sheffield United last year at, at Goodison Park and the games that was really really disappointing you'd always sort of, not necessarily have a smile on your face after a defeat as if to say you know, oh, oh, we've been beat but it was always like a, so what, we've lost the game of football and the saying that you always used to say and all of the lads used to say, you know when we used to be in the pub ball at home after the match was win, draw or lose, we're out on the booze and, and it's Everton and I you know, you've know you gone and watched Everton play in European competitions where we might never have had a, a catch chance in L in the game but you've been and gone and and watched Everton with, you know, me and you have been to watch Everton in Europa League qualifiers in Croatia, and in France, to go and see a game against Lille, which, you know, the famous game against Lille where we took all of those fans to to France. The game was dreadful. I remember watching the game. It was one of the worst games of football I've seen, but it was one of the best days and sort of periods of a couple of days in my lifetime because it was just Everton, 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 full of Evertonians, Everton songs, just living just live in everton for for two days even though the game wasn't that great and i suppose that's a lot of what's about being a supporter isn't it it's not just about that 90 minutes and the result sort of on the pitch and then if it's not you know if it doesn't go right for three weeks rest go right i'm supporting somebody else it's about sticking with the team through the good times the bad times and then if you go through a sustained period of bad it means that the next bit of good is is going to mean a lot more to you and the emotions going to be you know uh there and you know in um you know, a lot more, isn't it, rather than just constantly swapping uh, and changing. And and, and like I said, you know, even the bad times, it's always just pick yourself up, get on with it, go again. You know, it's not the end of the world. And I think that's something that we can sort of um, use in in today's world with Everton at, at this moment in time. We spoke last night about, you know, losing a couple of games or, you know, winning four on the bounce and then losing to West Ham. Yes, it's disappointing. Yes, it's annoying, but it's not the end of the world considering where we are and the squad that we've got. It's really not the end of the world and you just pick yourself up and you go again on, on Saturday against Rotherham. We will talk about that a little bit later on. I want to talk about Everton in the 80s a bit more, Dad. You watched, arguably, what some Evertonians would say the best Everton side um, ever in the history, certainly in, in, in recent history. Um, you know, the likes of Peter Reid, um, you had Howard Kendall managing Neville Southall in goal, uh, Pat Van Denau, um Graham Sharp, Andy Gray, all of these... You know, players who who just—they were Everton through and through, they knew what it was like to put on that shirt, they knew what it was like to go and fight for the football club, they knew what it was like to win trophies and they were very, very, very successful and, you know, I'm very jealous that I never got to see Everton in that sort of period where I'll always think Everton are the best football club on the planet, I don't think there's a football club that matches Everton, but I can't sit here honestly and say we're the best team on the planet because we're not, but it must have been really, really nice to sit and, and like I said, you know, be able to say no, you know what, we are the best team in Europe, we are the best team in the planet, and you mentioned the the different issues there that stopped Everton from going that next level and, and taking that next step but you know what was it like seeing those players and like you said there it was it was it was a real team at that time wasn't it in the 80s the 85 86s and they, they were a bunch of lads that really got on with each other liked each other and played to each other's strengths and ultimately it just all fit into place didn't it it did it, it was
1: it's like any successful team in my opinion that you know they uh, international teams germany italy they they've, they've proven that teams grow as a group of players they don't you know it's very difficult to manufacture a team by by just spending money and we went through a period of that um you know back in the uh, 70s Spending money and buying, you know, the top player and plonking them in there and expecting the world to happen and to win everything. You know, if you look at the successful teams, even in English football, whether that be the Arsenals, uh, the Uniteds at, at, at their pump, um, Everton, Liverpool, the group of players, the team grew up together as young men. And, and they celebrated and they fought together and they were a very collective unit. Uh, and, and when you do that, when you grow up like that, um, and you you grow up as a team, you will hit a sweet spot. And that sweet spot can last two, three, four years uh, before players move on or get injured or, or break up naturally. But that was Everton's sweet spot, you know, in the same way as it was with the Holy Trinity, although that was a little bit more manufactured in a lot of ways. But a lot of that team, that group ethic comes from that. And it's very difficult to build that year on year because obviously, um, certainly now football has moved on and very few premiership teams invest in, 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 in local lads, you know, with the premiership teams, you know, this this day and age follow the their right well what's in and it used to be sort of Icelandic a, a and Nordic and then it was sort of um, you know tall athletic um, French African that you know they sort of sw- swing around and 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 everybody thinks that one particular group of players is the best but the eighties um, you know that. That, that group of players. There were lots of good teams around at that uh, at that time. You know, Arsenal's team wasn't a bad team, but you know, um, Everton's. watching Everton. You know, I can I can visualise now as we speak the semi final, the na- the night game, the semi final against Bayern Munich at Goodison. I was in the uh, lower Bullens when. Used to be able to stand in the lower bones. Um and it's a bit. I suppose it's a bit like. Um, and I know you haven't experienced this, but I have, and you'll be out. It's a bit like childbirth. It's a bit. It's it's the emotion of all of that sort of hard work and that achievement being presented in 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 an event, yeah. um, and the emotion behind it, that event um can feel at times quite overwhelming um similarly with relegation battles by the way but uh you know the the team of the 80s they were they were individuals they were you know a group of players who played well together they were if they played attractive football they scored goals they were good uh, you know all departments were, uh, solid. Um, they did what they had to do. That you know, um, it was it was one of those. As I said, like 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 being a parent. It was a, it, it was like a, a a proud moment. Certainly after the seventies and and the sort of the the, the 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 lack of achievement and 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 you know Everton wanting to compete with the likes of continuing to try and compete with the. The, the top four, whether that be United, Liverpool, Arsenal or whatever. So, um, I'm spoilt in a lot of ways because I saw the Trinity and um, I saw, you know, the, the the famous 80s team that we all sing about when we go away. Um, and I'm hoping that um, before I get to a point where I can't go to game anymore, there's another um, period where uh, you know, Everton of both the right players, both local and internationally, they've got the right manager they've got the right backing you know, and they've got the right um mentality to to push on and 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 win things and if it was easy, every club would do it wouldn't it you know <laughs> that's, awesome. that's that that's the reality um the hard part is. Sticking with it and accepting that. Well, you know what? That you know, I, uh, most Everton fans of my age will tell you that there are games out there where you thought, you know, all day long, we should have beaten that team, and we got beat. And yes. there are other games, like as I mentioned before, the nineteen ninety five FA Cup final, playing Man United. Everton were, you know, on course for relegation. Yeah, we beat United at Wembley. That that was just, you know, you saw it on the shock of the of the Man United fans after the game. Yeah, they did not expect that result, and neither did we. So, it is a bit of swings and roundabouts, and and a, a, you know a third phase will come in Everton's history, um, recent history anyway. Uh, I'm fairly confident about that, and and that I think moves on to, in my view, our, uh, Carlo's reign moving forward.
0: Definitely. And, and that Man United team there, just to touch on that, that was the um, uh, you know, the famous class of, you know, whatever, wasn't it? Uh, just yeah. before the class of ninety nine, wasn't it?
1: Goals. Yeah. Um I, I don't know whether they all played in that game, I can't quite remember. But um, you know, uh, if anybody remembers back to that time, I remember um one of the players who didn't play, who signed my program on the day, was Ale Barrett. And if anybody can remember Ale Barrett um, who didn't make the bench, but played a lot of games in that in in that season. It shows you sort of the depth of Everton's squad at that point. Yeah. Um, and no disrespect to Whale, uh, he did a job. But you know there was a a gulf and difference between the Man United squad and the Everton squad at that point.
0: Yeah, spot on. And I, I want to ask you a little bit more about that 80s team because I, I remember watching an interview with Adrian Heath uh, and she obviously who's now manager of, of Minnesota, played in that team, very, very good player, good striker. Um, and he done an interview about Everton and, and his Everton you know, journey and how he became an Everton player, this, that, the other. And he actually said in this interview that Howard Kendall had called him asking him to sign for Everton before Howard Kendall had even got the Everton job. And he just said he remembers answering the phone and, and laughing because he was saying, you know, you, you're not even the manager of Everton yet. And he said, yeah, but I know I'm going to be. And I know I'm going to bring you to Everton Football Club. Um, Howard Kendall was a real Everton man. He was an Evertonian. He, he loved the club through and through. And you mentioned a little bit earlier on about, um, you know, knocking on Alex Young's, uh, not Alex Young, Joe Royal's door and, <laughs> yeah Joe Rose Dorn and you know maybe not being able to do that with footballers now in fact definitely not being able to do that footballers are so detached to you know everyday life and, and normal life per se and, and that might necessarily be well it's not necessarily their fault they don't pick the wage that they're on they don't pick the, the fact that clubs offer them multi-million pound contracts a year they don't pick the fact that they can you know have a nice house and a nice life why wouldn't you if you can afford it why wouldn't you but football has changed an awful lot since where you, you know you might see if your favourite player on the bus travelling to the ground, or you might see him in a pub having a pint after the game, and you know, Howard Kendall, that was still in and around that era, it was sort of moving towards footballers having more of a celebrity status, but it was still in and around that era where you'd see players on the street, you'd see players um, well, in, in pubs and stuff, you'd still see them on the street now, but you know, they, they were more accessible than they are now, and, and obviously, you know, in terms of Howard Kendall and, and being that much of an Evertonian and loving the club that much, do you put that down? to the success of the 80s team is the fact that those players really really cared because there's there's this modern day sort of perception about footballers. certainly when you lose games or in not necessarily lose games but in a specific way where you know the, the players mightn't show a lot of effort or there mightn't be a lot of fighters that well they don't care about the club they don't want to play for the club remember you know Reedy always showed that he wanted to play for the club our kendall showed he, he, he loved the club is that something that you put down as as you know a um a really, really important you know, uh, thing about success and a measure going into successful teams is that they actually really, really care and they want to be there and they want to succeed at this football club. And do you think, just a little bit slightly off topic with Everton, do you think that in modern day football you're losing that a little bit because of the amount of money footballers are in and the wages that they're in and the fact that now... You know, well, listen. football's a job, and it has been for a long, long time. But you know, now if you're playing and you're getting offered one hundred and sixty grand a week, you might go to a club that you don't really know much about. You don't really care about. You haven't grown up supporting. You'll play. You'll play because you're getting paid. But you might necessarily have that heart, that fight, that desire to go the extra mile. Do you think that's uh, you know something that maybe Everton have struggled with recently? Um, obviously, certainly since we've had the big influx of of money in the club.
1: Um. Well, I think we moved away from football as I grew up. And um, if you remember, um football back in the sixties and seventies was football as as we know it, as I know it as a as a sixty plus man. You know, it was everything in it and, and any time you got uh, you went out and played football with your mates. That was just the way you grew up. That was yeah. you, There wasn't any social media, there wasn't any computers, there wasn't any games, there wasn't anything to stay at home for. There was only three channels. So football was your life in a lot of ways. And, you know, as you know, I went on trying to be a professional footballer, uh, but it wasn't for me in the end. Um, this, the, this day and age, football is... Purely uh, an entertainment for many, and footballers are like film stars and 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 soap stars, and and the, and they adopt that type of lifestyle. So it's it's a challenge to measure what it was like then with what it is now because it's a different time. It's as you say, it's different money, it's different expectations. You know, you, go, you, you turn your television on, you've got two, three hundred channels, you can sit there all day in your onesie and watch football all day without actually uh, going out the door. And, you know, that, that impacts on football in, in a lot of different ways, you know. Obviously, from a ground perspective, people not going to the game means that, you know, you, you, you don't get the atmosphere of at the football. Um, and... You equally get companies Sky or whoever it may be, just trying to maximise uh, what they can get from you by not going to game, and people sitting in the shirts on the couch now, whereas you know they would walk down the road and go to the game in in days gone by. So it is a, it, it's a different time. It's a different way of looking at things from a professional perspective you know this day and age but you know you've been on some of those talks about Kendall and 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 how you know um players who will remain nameless have said you know um I went to see Kendall and basically he said you know we'll go in the pub and you know you're going to you're going to have we'll, we'll talk about everything over the drink you know this day and age now there's the psychologists there's food nutritionalists, there's Mental health workers, there, there's a whole plethora of health support there. Um, probably lots of other things that I, I you know, I, I haven't mentioned to ensure that players can produce uh, what they need to produce on the Saturday. Um, so it, 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 it's 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 a completely different sport than what I grew up with, uh, and as you know, at times it becomes very annoying because you can see how some decisions, whether that be fixtures or whether that be time off or referees or whatever it may be, uh, you can see preferential treatment being given to certain clubs and other clubs not getting the same um, quality of decision-making. And that all feeds back into the, well, it's entertainment now, whereas before it was an honest sport, and People made honest mistakes. Um, people worked hard, they you know, they played hard, and um, that was football as I know and, and knew it growing up. You know, after every game of football I played, you know, we would always go out as a group and 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 uh, you know, celebrate or commiserate, whatever it may be. Um, that's not the case now, and 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 you know, who am I to say that that's a a good thing or a bad thing? I'm not. It's your generation that determines um, uh, how football will develop moving forward. Personally, as you know, I still like going the game. I like watching Everton win. Lose a draw. I'm going to see me football club, and 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 that's what genuine supporters do. Um, others will say, well, I get me Sky TV package, and I'm a genuine footballer because I never miss. A football fan because I never miss a minute. They have a different perception on it, um, and that might be my age. It might be me. Uh, I don't know. Me misdirected views on 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 what makes a good fan. But um, it, it it is what it is, as they say. Uh, we've got what we've got. Things will change again. Um, you know when the last lot of money came into the Premiership from the television rights. It was made very clear that every club in the Premiership got enough money to play football without any fans at all, or to pay for every fan's seat um, and give them all free. So that's the level of money swashing around in the system now. Yeah. Um And you see now when you watch football in the, in in within the the pandemic, they're just add the shouting, not the the at the, yeah. at the, uh, at the uh, you know, and you can turn it off or turn it on. You know that that that's where we've got to now, where you don't actually have to go the game because the gate receipts are nothing in the grand scheme of things. Whereas in my day and age, the gate receipts paid the players' wages. Um, it, it, it it's different. It's it's difficult to measure one from the other, but you know. Yeah, yeah. It moved on, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, no, I agree completely and it's a different time and like you said, you know, um, <laughs> Premier League clubs very much are in, in that situation where if you're relegated from the Premier League, you're getting a massive payout, if you're promoted from the Championship, you're getting a massive pay in. it's the sort of the lower league clubs, you know, at, at the moment still that, you know, uh, relying on those gate receipts and we've seen recently Marine who've... Um, pulled tottenham in the uh, next round of the fa cup Um, they obviously won't be able to have fans at the stadium now because of the fact that uh, you know the the restrictions and stuff like that in liverpool city region and they reported that they'd lose you know over a hundred thousand pound because of that so they've actually sold virtual tickets so it's those you know, lower league clubs and the the clubs sort of at the bottom of the tee that are affected by that, but they're the clubs that aren't really massively helped by the Premier League. I know the EFL have, have, have come together and given them a, a package recently, but, you know, it wasn't massive and it wasn't anything that's going to, um, you know, be, uh, you know, uh, save them completely. It's the Premier League clubs that are getting the, the big bucks. And and you, you said something really interesting there, and I want to pick up on it. You said, you know, you don't know if it's your age and, you know, you've seen footballers where, you know, they weren't on £100,000 a week and they'd go to the pub after the game and you'd be able to sit there and they were very interactive and i, I think it's really interesting because i almost feel like i was born sort of 40 50 years ago because i've got that same view and again this isn't really about Everton but it's football wise um talking about obviously big massive talking point recently has been the entertainment factor in football and leeds united of course um couple of um Weeks ago went and got absolutely battered by Manchester United. I think it ended 6 2 in the end. They were 3 0 down within five minutes, 2 0 down within three minutes. And, you know, a lot of the response on. Uh, social media and even from pundits was was praise for Leeds and praise for Marco Bielsa for being so brave and going out there and stepping up to a Manchester United and then there was a big discussion and a big argument. I don't know if you've seen it, Dad. I I suppose you might not, you know, with not being on social media and stuff. But a big argument about, you know, football being about entertainment or football being about results and would you you know, it's not necessarily always about getting results and you know, if you're playing boring football, is that the other? And that blows my head because there was for certain football fans who sort of you know put out social media um statuses or tweets or whatever you want to call it you know saying well I pay 80 pound a, a week I pay 100 pound uh, sorry 80 pound a month 100 pound a month for sky you know I I should get entertained I should get teams going out and, you know, giving it all and and making it entertainment for me. And this is something that we've actually spoke about before with Everton. I don't care about what the neutral fan thinks about my football club. If we win 1-0 every week and it's horrible and it's boring and it's like the Sheffield United game, we win the league at the end of the year. And I don't care if you're a Man United fan and you're disappointed and you don't want to watch that type of football or if you're a Chelsea fan and you're bored watching that. I don't care because it's not about you. Your opinion on my football club is totally irrelevant to me. It's about my football club gaining results but Leeds got a lot of praise for for being beaten very very heavily against the rival side ...because of how brave they were and how they went out... ...and they didn't, they stepped up to Manchester United... ...and this is something that I know we've spoke about before... ...because I remember sitting there watching... ...can't remember if it was Man United or it was Liverpool or somebody... ...but basically they were playing a side... ...again I can't remember who it was... ...but this side had it set up to defend practically... ...and the game was nil-nil with five minutes to go... ...I can't remember how it ended... ...I think it ended as a draw... ...but this team were getting slated by the commentators... Uh, ...for being boring and not showing bravery and this, that, the other... ...and you, I remember you sitting there saying... Why you know why should they go out? What what should they do? Step up to this this you know giant of football if you like, or this team that have clearly got much more quality than them, and just be blown away for the entertainment of other people. No, it's about going out and getting results at the end of the day. And you know then, I suppose the flip side of that argument is, well, that's fine if you're a team that are close to breaking into the top four or the top five, and you can win one nil every week, and you know yeah, it's boring, but you'll put up with it because you're so close to um, the top. But other sides, maybe mid-table sides, would rather out there and you know win five four or then win one 0 Bored and they'd rather the entertainment value. What sort of your opinion? On it? I didn't want to get your opinion because it's it, and I, I feel like I know it, but obviously nobody else will, will know where you stand on it. And it's something that's been on social media an awful lot recently about that because and it is a point to it because football fans pay so much. I mean, what you're looking? I don't I don't pay obviously for Sky or BT. I'm still live with with you and me mum, so I'm lucky enough to not have that. Um you know that money coming out my bank account but I could only imagine sky be you know 80 odd pound a month whatever it is bt 60 odd 80 odd pound a month amazon prime now you've got which you've got to pay for which is another 20 odd whatever it is you're paying but maybe 200 pound a month in subscriptions is the sort of entertainment value now becoming more important than actually getting results sort of which sounds baffling for me to say but it's an argument at the moment where do you sort of stand on that
1: well, I think it is if your job stems from entertainment. So, if your part, if your whole life, whether that be in the media or um, a pundit or whoever it might be, and your job is to comment on on a game, um, it's much easier to comment when lots of things happen than it is if very little happens, um, and. It's always nice to see goals because I, I don't know the current statistics, but I think since the um, since the restart of, of the season, uh, this is probably a, a record-breaking season for goals. Yeah, um, you know, and as the Premiership has moved on since its inception, they've tried and tried to bend and twist and manipulate the rules to ensure that more goals are scored because goals make people watch people won't put the television on if it's going to be a nil-nil draw or a one-all draw or, or yeah. whatever, yeah. you know? Um, so that, all, you know, the decisions of the FA, did you know, bearing in mind who, hold, who holds the money in football in this country at this moment in time, um, and it's certainly not the FA. They get paid um, and it all comes from television, ownership and rights and sponsorship. So it's all in the, um, you know, it's all managed away from football. So there are forces of play that want to make it as entertaining. And it's always nice to have an underdog because everybody likes an underdog. And if the same teams won everything all the time, people would switch off from that because it would be boring. So they know, you know, the uh, the people controlling it know that um, it's it it it's more entertaining to 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 see a team um, play attractive football but get beat than uh, it is for every game to be a, a one nil. Yeah. They know they know equally that um, Lording over how nice on how well uh, Leeds can play it isn't really going to improve Leeds' chances of winning the Premiership, is it? Yeah. The results. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, 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 it's okay saying, oh, you go out and the game that you were talking about before was when, you know, uh, I think it was, a, uh, I think it was a, a game from the other lot, but anyway, um, you know, the, the expectation is, well, you know, you come out and attack us and let us score yeah. Uh, God knows how many goals against you, because that you know that's what you should do. You should, you you should lay down and let us batter you, because that's what we can do. Well, your job if you do that as a player and as a team, you you know you'd be criticised as well. Your job is to try and get something from the game, and there will always be teams that will be stronger than you, and there will always be teams that are weaker than you, um, and there will always be games where you know the weak um, beat the mighty and so on. But that's what makes has always made football, you know, uh, FA Cup uh, really uh, powerful. Uh, you know, things to watch because there's always been that propensity. I think. I, I think in a the minute, there's a there's a worries that um, the the top teams are devaluing the cup competitions now in favour of of other things and only playing decent teams, decent sides out when it comes to the end of it. Um, And I think that is uh, not given due respect to uh, the lower league teams and, um, you know, the uh, players who are trying to make their way, honestly, uh, within football in general. Um, And I think, you know, we could be in danger of... um, taking the value out of uh, that side of the game the game where the honesty part of it and, and and moving away from you know a good honest game of football where two teams go out whether equally matched or not and you know have a good go and try and win the game um, you know there's so much now that is um, you know manipulated in different ways that you just think you uh, You've got, to, you've got to constantly have a team of people behind the scenes looking at ways, uh, different ways to manipulate situations. So for me, um, you go out and you get whatever you can get. And, you know, I like Leeds. I like the way Leeds play football. But, you know, Everton did that uh, in, in recent years. And yet when, when it worked, it worked well. When it, you know, playing open football will get you that. But equally... Um, it will also get you to Canaan every now and again. Yeah. And it will get you losing points, losing more points than you're going to gain. And and in the end, where will that get you? Well, it will get you in a in a dogfight at, uh, at the end of the league. Everybody can clap their hands and say, what a wonderful game of football. But that won't keep you in the job. Yeah. And it won't keep you in the premiership. But the pundits on the television will say, well, that was really nice. Didn't they do well? Um, it's not affecting them, is it? Yeah.
0: No, exactly, exactly spot on, and, and yeah, you're right. Look, at the end of the day, again, you know, it, it it is more difficult because football is more expensive, and and Sky, you you mentioned it there. You know, I think this is a record for goals scored this season, certainly for penalties um, as well, and and Graham Sooners, who's a very, um, I wouldn't say popular pundit, certainly not with Evertonians, but he's he's a pundit that's you know there every single week. He's commentating. He's always on Sky. He's probably one of the, um, you know. Uh, most popular certainly in, in in Sky's books. He come out towards the end of the season and he said, "I football's about entertainment. Now I want to be entertained. I, I'm sitting here to be entertained." Yeah, that VAR decision, you know, was was wrong, but I made up with it because it's entertained me. It's given me another penalty. I like the fact that there's more penalties, and ultimately that's what it's about. And these pundits and these companies can moan about VAR and now it's this, that, the other. But you know, the more mistakes, ultimately, the more controversy. And I said this uh, to Tom um, a couple of days ago. Controversy pays at the end of the day, and, and this is what we're seeing with other, um, you know, I, I don't want to say football journalists because they're not, but companies I won't name them, but these companies that have certain football fans call up and, and you know, have a controversial opinion about something, and ultimately that leads to more people watching the video and more people having a comment on it. And there was one couple of days ago, I'll say this one because I don't really care, Chris Sutton and Robbie Savage put out a um, you know, on their podcast or their radio show or whatever, it was a, it was a segment and it was about diver of the week or simulator of the week and Dominic Calvert-Lewin won it and there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever about Dominic Calvert-Lewin diving I think one of the points that they made, I didn't watch the video but from what people were saying, one of the points that they made was that Dominic Calvert-Lewin goes over in the box to win penalties for Everton, now he's only won two penalties in his Everton career, one was against Liverpool when he was pushed over blatantly by Dejan Lovren, and one was against Chelsea where he was clattered into by by Mendy a couple of weeks ago. But if they if they go out and say that, that automatically that gets more people interested. and They're not going to come out and say Mo Salah is the simulator of the week because if you're not a Liverpool fan, you look at that and go, well, yeah, he does dive a bit. Um, fair enough, but. The more controversial name they say, the more people are going to watch it, the more people are going to get involved and ultimately, for me, I don't know if you feel the same, Dad, obviously, like I said, you've seen seen football from when it was in its purest form of just about winning and playing for the club and loving playing for the club and it wasn't about money or controversy or television rights or whatever. Do you, do you sort of agree that it's going down that route now because of all of the money and entertainment side of it? Is that, you know, the more conservation you are ultimately, the more people are going to watch, the more people are going to have a say on it, and that, you know, in the end means that you get, you're get you making more money out of it?
1: Well, that's what sells, isn't it? Yeah. Ultimately, whether you're selling a newspaper, an article, or you're selling uh, time on a podcast or whatever it may be, um, you know, the, it, it, if if they've got nothing to say, nobody rings in or emails in or complains. Yeah. And you know that's why sometimes it helps to be controversial. Yeah. I think equally they will pick their victims, as you say. You know, they they know if they if they pick on, you know, in this instance, um, Calvert Lewin, uh, that a large swathe of Evertonians are going to contact them and say, you're talking out, you're, you're this, that and the other. What about Salah? What about, yeah. what about uh, Harry Kane? You know, yeah. uh, Harry Kane should be should be banned because he puts players at risk trying yeah. to win penalties. <laughs> Equally, you had, you know, uh, Martial last night. Uh, uh, absolute clear and auto-dive in the box. Uh, no action taken by the referee. So, I don't know what happened what happened to the rule about yellow cards for diving anymore? Only a of it's Everton. It, well, and and it's some and that's what I say. Sometimes it, it feels that way. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'm sure there are other teams out there who who have got the wrong side of uh, refereeing decisions. And you know, we we can catalogue lots of refereeing decisions that you know are just beyond. The realms of understanding, that. and you know, they've introduced VAR apparently to try and rectify that. But VAR in England is, I think, I think we're the only place it doesn't work properly, yeah. And that's because you've still got referees and linesmen, you've still got people in the same club behind the scenes, 200 miles away, making a decision, and they are then still influenced by the uh the pressures that they're under, shall we say, mm-hmm. to make a decision one way or the other, um, whether they're 200 miles away or got the whistle in the mouth. You know, um, if you remember back back in the day, uh, Andy Johnson got reported for for dives and, and David Moyes had to go and uh, have a meeting with the chief uh, referee and say, why you know what what's this vilification of of, of Andy Johnson? It keeps getting fouled and pushed over. He's small. It's a penalty, you know. And then he never got a penalty after that yeah. because you know they decided that he shouldn't go over in the way he goes over the, these days. You know you've got Pogba who can kick himself and go over. You've got Martial who can dive in the box and nothing happens if you do it. And oh, well, the only thing that does happen is they either get the penalty or they don't. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen penalties given against, you know, Michael Keane accidentally stands... Mm. Oh, no, Jagielka stands on somebody's toe mm. and it's a sender. You, you can just recount these things constantly. And, and you know, I, I think there's a referee's book uh, out there. That can't, I don't know it was Mark Halsey. Mark
0: Halsey or, it was, yeah.
1: Yeah. Who said basically that they were told as referees that if it came to a 50-50 decision... About a particular incident, and it was a top four, five, six club. Then the decision went to that top four, five, six club because they sold, you know, uh, more airspace than the other club. And without that airspace, without that time, without people watching that club, buying those shirts, uh, the FA wouldn't be in a, a strong enough position. So we know that these. The, 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 there are influences on decisions. Um, you know, if you look at, um, you know, Mark Clattenburg, uh, the old referee, who went on a South Asia tour with Liverpool, travelled in the same airplane, stayed in the same hotel. How is that bloke going to look objectively to 50 fifty-fifty decisions in any game after that? You can't, you 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 know, you can't have those things, and it's subtle, and it's, it's, um, you know, whether COVID is the right word, I don't know, but nevertheless, people can be influenced by others, um, and it happened then, and it's, you know, even more so now. You know, you you you, you had a situation in recent years where the heads of um, UEFA and have all been done for bloody. Um,
0: FIFA it was wasn't
1: it Yeah. FIFA yeah i have all been done for bribery so if you've got bribery at, at World Cup level then you know it It, it wouldn't be too much uh, of a second guess to say well at some at other levels it must exist in some form or another um, and I'm not putting Everton in there or taking Everton out of there I'm just saying it makes sense to acknowledge that uh, the, uh, there are secondary influence even you had um, our old our old manager Allardyce you know gets the England job yeah. then gets the big envelope you know t- <laughs> these are very real things we're all human greed is human
0: Yeah,
1: things happen behind the scenes players get tapped up when they shouldn't get tapped up and they get holidays and they this that and the other yeah. it all goes on and and you know um Ultimately, it's to feed the machine, and the machine is uh, apparently entertainment. Um, you know, um, football and an and, and honest game, and, uh, and uh, uh, two groups of players trying to win over a, a given set of similar uh, hurdles it is waning somewhat now, and, and it's sad to see, but.
0: But that's it, isn't it? That's it. And you, like you said before, you know, about these things happening, Keaton Tippia is is come um in the limelight recently and that was because he's moved to Atletico Madrid, apparently he told a close friend to bet on him moving to Atletico Madrid and this close friend and the, the irony of the situation was this friend made about £15 and Kieran Tippy has been banned for 10 weeks from any football and activity because he said the friend texted him practically saying how close is it, how real is it, shall I stick some money on it and he said it, it's going to happen mate so yeah, stick money on it practically and he got found out and he's been banned from all football and activity, find a, a massive amount so these things happen definitely And, you know, ultimately, the more money that's involved with anything football, WWE, any business in in the world, the more money that's involved, the more that these people who who have the money and who are putting the money in want guaranteed, you know, successes and guaranteed paths. And I've said that for a long time. But back on to Everton then. We just spoke uh, about Everton in the 80s and the successes of Everton in the 80s. Everton in the 90s, fighting relegation, digging deep, obviously David Moyes coming in and really stabilising that Everton team after that season of of relegation, one big talking point, it wasn't in the 90s, it was sort of, obviously we won the FA Cup in the 90s, Um, it was sort of going into the 2000s, Wayne Rooney um, broke onto the scene, 16 year old lad, scored his first Everton goal against Arsenal, absolutely fantastic goal, remember the name, Wayne Rooney, all this, all that, and, of course, left Everton Football Club uh, not so long after, as still a young lad, joined Manchester United. Um, I think it was... I can't remember exactly the fee, but it was a fee that, you know, was, was very, very healthy to Everton at that time. There was a lot made about Wayne Rooney, sort of, from that point on, until practically when he rejoined the club a couple of seasons ago. Now, it's very much like, yeah, he, he's a blue. Um, you know, I, I feel like the opinion on Wayne Rooney from the majority of Evertonians is just, you know, it, it's it's there. He's an Evertonian. Um one of england's best players sort of yeah and and that's been because you know we obviously come back and and you know he scored in the derby and he scored a couple of goals and he, he spoke about how he loves the club but you've always had quite very strong opinions on the way rooney exit haven't you, dad and, and the way in which he left and the fact that you know he saved Everton football club realistically and the money that he brought in and the money that we got for him um do you want to talk about that then and in terms of where everton were at that time obviously we briefly go into the during the 90s if he won, won the FA Cup. It was our last competition. But like you said, it wasn't great that season. We were struggling. Early 2000s, we started to struggle as well. And the Wayne Rooney situation was really sort of the, the pinnacle of of every of, of Everton at that time, wasn't it? Well, I, you
1: know, Rooney and, and his family, his whole family, his dad, um, they're all, you know, local people. I think his dad's still doing things in the same pub. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're brought up to be Evertonians. They live, you know, breathe uh, Everton Football Club. And you, you grow up as kids like that. And you could see, I went used to go and see Wayne when he was um, playing in the under-16s. And you could see he, he stood out head and shoulders, you yeah. know. He, he was a man in a boy's body. Um, you know, he wanted to do everything and could do everything. Yeah. You know, he wanted to to tackle. He wanted to take throw-ins. He wanted to take all the free kicks. He wanted to cross the ball. He wanted to score the goals. He wanted to be the captain. He wanted to be the whole nine yards, and he could do that. So it was no surprise that you know when he broke into the the, the first team and that goal. I was at Goodison when we when we broke the Invincibles record um and you know colleen won a lot of money on that goal, by the way do you remember um, i remember him telling me the other week. yeah you know so uh, rooney really was always going to be an absolute outstanding professional as long as he kept uh, you know his his uh his head out the shed and got the right advice and the right guidance and 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 he did, and you could see when he when he played for Everton, and, and and he was playing in often, you know, with a lot of players around him that um, weren't at the same level of, as him. And you could see when you wa- when you watched him, he used to get very frustrated by that. And you know, when Rooney Rooney didn't play every game, although he was available, you know, because I think you know they were. There appeared to be problems with um, how he fitted in because he wanted to do everything, and because he wanted to be everything, and because he was an Evertonian. And we've consistently over the years had these issues with players who, who bring up and are Everton through and through. The level of expectation on them becomes a noose around the neck, yeah. and yeah. you know it strangles them. You know Barkley, whoever. You know uh, it, it. It becomes. A massive negative weight, and and Rooney's always wanted the best for Everton. Um, and sometimes, you know, as a younger player, uh, when he when he did play in the squad, he, he he upset the balance because he was trying to do everything and trying to do so much. And football is about you know having everybody playing together, and 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 Mavericks don't you know um, didn't actually mix. So it was no surprise that. You know, somebody came in for him and, you know, in this instance, it was Man United. His his agent took a lot of um, stick for organising, you know, organising that. But, you know, as I've said and as you just uh, recall, I, 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 you know, I, I don't have any negative views of Rooney for that decision. He was a young player with a lot of, football to play with a lot of things to achieve uh, a lot of desires a lot of ability and uh, at that time the rest of the team couldn't keep up with where rooney needed to be and that was only going to lead to uh massive frustration on his part he was a young player it was going to lead to disappointment uh, in what he could have achieved and 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 what he did achieve ultimately by going, so I, 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 you know, I I have no issues with with the way he went in that regard. I know they were, um, you know, he got a lot of stick and responded to that, and he was an immature and, and naive, and and that created a lot of problems with Everton fans. But ultimately, for me, at that time, Rooney still indirectly put Everton where they are today. The money Everton got for them at that time and then the drip on monies that he got for England appearances and European and all the rest of it enabled Everton to start the rebuilding or to carry on the rebuilding process, if you like. And it was a massive boost for Everton to be able to have a player with that quality, with that ability. I mean, a Rooney now, would be worth what
0: he's managing Derby now. So, oh, you mean Rooney? Yeah. As a, if he was playing a then, a sixteen-year-old Wayne Rooney it, of that quality in this day and age, hundreds of millions of pounds.
1: So, so, and 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 football's gone on so much that you would need hundreds of millions of pounds in order to buy two or three players yeah. to replace them. You know, back in the day, you know, whatever you went 425, I can't remember. Um, at that time that was a huge amount of money to come into Everton Football Club. At a time when they still weren't winning things, you know, they didn't have um the big investor that they've got now, you know, um they 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 they, they, they were struggling to keep still in yeah. the premiership. Um so Wayne Rooney in in my humble opinion, indirectly um put Everton on course to where they are today and you know for that I'll always be um grateful again because of my age I happened to watch Rooney both as as a youngster and in an Everton shirt and score that wonderful goal against the Invincibles but he scored you know but but we were lucky to have him you know because if we hadn't had Rooney would we still be here today? Would we have had that investment? Would we have been able to buy those players that we bought? You know, not necessarily big, uh, expensive players, but the ability to strengthen the squad, the ability to keep going, uh, to build and build and build. And then obviously, you know, um, under Moyes, um, that sort of, a uh, period of time when we were in europe and and you know and those those days out were uh weekends out were were really good you know um it's it was just nice to get there because we hadn't been there for such a long time and and the result was secondary really so my my view of Rooney is is but that he was an extremely talented young person um he was uh in the wrong place at the wrong time. If Everton, if you had Rooney now, you wouldn't be selling him. You'd be saying, right, we're going on and we're doing that. But at that time, we we didn't have the same team. We didn't have the same investment. We didn't have the same mentality. Um, and I wouldn't blame uh, the lad for for going on. He's, he's achieved a lot in his career now. And he came back, you know, um, to tip his hat to say, you know, I still am a diehard Evertonian all my kids are Evertonians and 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 that's a, a, a family that is sometimes hard to get into you are talking before about other people coming into the club and players old players who, you know um, Ball once said uh, I think it was Ball once everyone's touched you you know yeah. uh, not on XI you know, it never would be the same and, and you've got players you, you interviewed um, Kev Campbell not so long ago Everton through and through, not from the area. Played at Everton, you know, um, but was very well liked. You know, Marcus Bent, again, not brilliant, you know, technically, but Everton fans always love an honest player. And when it gets in your skin, it gets in your skin. Tim kale not even from this country, you know, one of our biggest... Aqu- so, you know... Um, even I say did, did I say Duncan Ferguson, who's who's a it was a jock. Um, you know, you you once you get it well once you get in, it's difficult to get out. Even if you might leave and and you may have some issues, you know, we've had other players leave. Ball wasn't at Everton for a particularly long time, even though he was part of the Trinity. Linnaeck won the golden boot and stayed a year. Um, Franny Jeffers has all the promise in the world. Um, but, you know, was sold to, to, to Arsenal. There are always going to be those players who move on for different reasons and Rooney, you know, Barkley, whatever you feel about Barkley, same weight on his shoulders, a lot of ability, uh, making bad decisions because he's got a, you know, sometimes a pocket full of money and a head full of beer, but young people make those decisions and, you know, make, you know they, they won't be the first, they won't be the last. Um, you know Paul Gascoigne, again a hugely gifted player. Uh, fortunate to watch Paul Gascoigne in an Everton shirt and in an England shirt. You know uh, yeah, Ginola. Yes. Yeah. You know they, 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 these are players, although they were coming to the end of their career at that point. These are players' names that roll off the tongue, and they're all associated with Everton Football Club. You see, Gary again every week. So we haven't done. That's
0: bad. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree completely. And and before we go on to talking about modern day Everton Football Club, then, um, David Moyes, I, I'm Everton manager for, you know, the Everton manager that I grew up with. Really, I mean, I don't remember Everton before David Moyes, and, and I remember Everton after David Moyes very very fondly. I remember Roberto Martinez's as his first season. So a lot of my Childhood and that sort of once Everton has touched you not and will be the same and, and being attached and so emotionally attached to this football club was because of David Moyes' Everton sides. Everton was struggling like we said early 2000s just after Wayne Rooney left you know we survived relegation that season but David Moyes done a lot for this football club didn't he in terms of stabilising us and keeping us in a position where we might necessarily have had a lot of money but we made the best of, of what we had and I know it wasn't necessarily the greatest end to his career with the way in which he left um, but do you think we owe a lot to, to David Moyes in terms of the stabilisation of the football club and, and keeping us away from that sort of relegation um, you know sort of Fight every year, other than the, that one season. Um, especially given the fact that we had very minimal money, and you know, brought in players like Tim Cahill from the Championship, Stephen Pienaar, uh, Mikhail Arteta from you know Real Sociedad, A whole plethora of players, Sylvan Distan obviously coming in, Phil Jagielka, Leighton Baines from Wigan, Seamus Coleman, sixty grand from Shamrock Rovers, David Moyes Everton really established the Everton
1: that we know today, didn't it? I I think what Moyes did is he steadied the ship.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, You know, we we went through a lot of sort of boom and bust type periods and and managers and and swapped a lot of managers. Um, And I've since Moyes left as well. But um, he steadied the ship. He developed the concept of consistency. And consistency may not have always been pretty. Yeah. and you know Moyes gets a lot of criticism for you know um, the negative styles of play and, and, and winning games one nil at home and so on and so forth. And you'd referred to it earlier saying you'd rather watch that than 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 uh, you know going out all guns blazing, uh, being an entertaining game and getting beaten five one. Um, I'm of the same view, you know. Um, you, you you know I'd rather win ugly than lose gracefully. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and and Moy's introduced that uh, concept of you don't have to be um, super talented and and you know uh, super skilled if you all work together as a team and you all support each other's strengths, then you can. Be consistent. From consistency builds confidence. Yeah. From confidence builds results. And then you start moving forward. And that's what Moyes introduced. He introduced a style of play that, you know, it wasn't your Barcelona's or whatever, but it allowed Everton to compete in a very competitive Premier League. Yeah. Uh, and allow them to compete without spending the huge, ridiculous sums other teams were spending to try and compete. And again, it was another stepping stone. It was another, um, you know, on on the on the ruining money and and the footing that gave financially in certain ways. Then you you, you had Moyes, who studied the managerial ship, who could see a bargain in in in, in certain players. And how they were going to fit into the way he wanted to, the style he wanted to play, um, which he's now doing at West Ham, by the way, isn't he? Yeah. So he's done. The, he's doing the same thing that that you know. But Moyes himself has clear weaknesses. When he came to Everton, um, you know, he he, he came. He, he he had little to no experience of you know cup competitions and and. And certainly Europe, and, and his naivety in Europe shone through those years. Uh, but you know, equally, the squads—did they say when you get it? You know, if you're regularly in Europe, you've got to have probably two squads: one to play yeah. midweek and one to play on Saturday. He never never had the finances to be able to do that. But he did—you know—some of his some of his, um, his decision making and, 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 and teams that he put out in Europe were, you know at best questionable at times, you know, but nevertheless, again, he was a fundamental, um, pivotal stepping stone into where we are today. And, you know, I I think without, without um, Moyes and the stability that he afforded the club, uh, we wouldn't be there. But equally, and and I know this is not uh, something that we were going to add, but I I would have to put Bill Kenwright in 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 the same sort of in the same zone. Kenwright came in, you know, he mortgaged his house to keep uh, a club going, in, to keep his club going um, until at such time as there was a new dawn and we can move forward. And you know, as an Everton fan, you've got to be truly thankful for somebody yeah. mortgages their house for your club. He was never. He never had a wash of money, and he was never going to be able to compete with, you know, uh, the other big players and the American corporations and investment banks and all the rest of it. But he bought what he he did what he believed was right and mortgaged his house to do so. Yeah, and again, that was another fundamental stepping stone in 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 the ground and of, of the club back into. The way we were in 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 the heyday with the Moores family and 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 the, um, the the Holy Trinity and that. So the, the, it's getting the constituent parts. Yeah, and I know we're going to go on to call to speak about Ancelotti, but that to me is then, you know, the, that and the new owners. They're the other constituent parts you need in order to to drive on and make a change. Spot on, spot on. We'll, we'll
0: get straight into it then. Modern day Everton Football Club, obviously, uh, David Moyes had left the football club. We've gone through a couple of managers: Roberto Martinez, Ronald Koeman, who we you know we won't speak about. Um, Sam Allardyce, Marco Silva, and now. Carlo Ancelotti, the first manager in my lifetime, including David Moyes, as good as David Moyes was for Everton Football Club, Carlo Ancelotti is the first manager in my lifetime who has proven that he can go and win trophies at a high level, not just win the odd FA Cup, not just get the odd promotion, but win the Premier League, win the Champions League multiple times, win World's Best Manager um, Award, win, you know, the, the four of the five, top leagues in Europe, win their league titles, manage some of the greatest players, not only manage some of the greatest players, but if you listen or hear or read any of uh, of the players that Carlo Ancelotti has worked with, be it Cristiano Ronaldo, James Rodriguez, Zlatan Ibrahimović, Paolo Maldini, John Terry, Frank Lampard, they all talk very, very, very highly of him. Uh, I've you know, got his book, I've been reading his book Zlatan Ibrahimovic said how long have you got I could sit here and talk about him for weeks uh, Jose Mourinho done it he didn't even. He obviously didn't manage Jose Mourinho but he's worked alongside him, he worked in Milan together I believe when Carlo managed AC and, and Jose managed Inter and he said I, I love Carlo Ancelotti, I'll be hugging him, this was obviously when we played them towards the back end of last season he's brilliant, he's fantastic, I love him everybody speaks very very highly of him, he's now the manager of Everton Football Club dad, we've seen the impact that he's had on the club in just the year that he's been here you know wins away from home for the start which were few and far um between under previous managers i don't i think we won four or five under michael silver in in a year carlo ancelotti's come in we went on a, a seven game winning streak at the start of the season top of the league beating Spurs away from home which we haven't done for 12 years or something like that um Palace away from home, winning every game that we've played in London so far this season, beating Chelsea, Leicester, Arsenal, um, all doing this, of course, with injuries and suspensions throughout the way. Brought in some fantastic names, James Rodriguez, who's global superstar, Alan, Ben Godfrey, who's doing really well at the moment, Adelaide corey. How important is it for Everton, Dad, to have a serial winner managing us now? Because we went through our first year of managers who, um, you know, uh, maybe... Could be a serial winner, i.e., a Roberto Martinez or a Marco Silver, and uh, for me you know when Marco Silva left the football club and Duncan took over and Duncan said you know I don't want this job I want Everton to go out and find the best man for the job I think it was absolutely imperative there that Everton football club didn't go out and bring in a manager who can possibly learn his trade at Everton we were being linked with Eddie Howe at that point and oh yeah Eddie Howe might do brilliant with a load of money yeah Eddie Howe might but he also might get us relegated like he did with Bournemouth it was so important that we went out and we we brought in a manager who we know has been there and done it with the top clubs, with the top players and has got that managerial style that we so desperately needed at this football club. How important is it and how good is it to have a manager like Carlo Ancelotti at the club at the
1: moment? Well I think as you say we spend a lot of time trying, well for what it appears anyway, trying to build a team and in, in recent years, so let's say, say uh, you know, the last five years, trying to build a new team and develop a new manager at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> now, the question always is: Can you do both? And 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 are the fans and the Premiership able to? sustain it over the longer term and I don't think it's possible to be perfectly honest I don't think it's possible to build a team and develop a manager to the level that you need him in order to manage that team as soon as he steps off the coach yeah managers certainly the managers that we've had in in least in before Carlo were managers who had promise even Moyes I mean Moyes Left Everton for Man United, so you know it was managers who had promise. It was managers who um, could or should be able to to do it, or, ha- or, or had an insight. Or but they never had. They never had the CV. They never had the credentials. They never had um, the uh, experiences of winning trophies, winning um, titles playing in Europe the difficulties that that brings etc etc so uh, it was, it it is not was, it is again another fundamental foundation in how to develop a modern football team. Obviously as I said you can only do that when you've got these days, anyway. When you've got a a, a billionaire backer, yeah. you know, top five six teams now all have to have billionaire backers of some description, investment banks or whatever it may be. Back in the day, you know, it was the Moors family, it was you know Jack Walker, it was it was individuals who'd made their their, their money privately and then wanted to put it all. Um, into the club that they loved, you know, and, you, and you're talking millions, yeah. and, you know, and a rich person back in the day in England, millions, rich people now, uh, the, the playing staff, yeah, are richer than some of the investors, that used to own clubs in this country, so, you know, it, 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 again, it's it's part, it's a constituent part, of a modern day, successful uh, or plan to be successful football team is to have, you know, the 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 nucleus of the squad, the uh, you know, the, a quality fan base, um, a a rich investor who who believes in the football club, as opposed to an investment banker who just is looking to make money. Because there's a lot of clubs. Who were bought out by investment bankers, lasted you know a very short period of time, and then were resold. You know, Man United have skated around being broke uh, in recent years. Liverpool were nearly bankrupt in the same way under the under the American owners. So it's a very fine line to tread. And I know Ken Wright spent a lot of time um, picking who he was going to sell the club to or his majority share. So it, it it's come at the right time I think the question really shouldn't be in my view is Carlo uh, the right person I think the question is why did Carlo choose everything Carlo Ancelotti as you say has won everything in the game he's not short of a crust or two yeah um So the money wouldn't have made the difference to him. He'd have got that money or more money playing anywhere across Europe. And he would have walked into the door anywhere across Europe. Carlo Ancelotti must see something in Everton that we've all seen or wanted to see for a very long time. He's got the backing of somebody who's got money. He's got, as I said, he's got a fan base. He's got a nucleus of a team. And he's got a desire to build a club it's very rare that you get all of those things in place all at the same time um, and as you say, even though we can all be disappointed with some of the results that we've had, Everton after Christmas are four points are off the top of the premiership um, with and and we all look at the squad and think oh, our squad you know not hasn't got the, the right quality and the depth of on the bench and the this that and the other. And that's whilst we've had significant injuries to a lot of key first-team players, to to maintain that position uh, in in the in the top four, top five, whatever, um, during a very difficult time, both on and off the pitch, is a credit to to his uh, ability and capacity. So, as I said, for him to choose to come to Everton. Um, Said a lot about what he feels he's got, because uh, he wouldn't come, he wouldn't back a dead horse, would he? No, he's not. You know what I mean? He, he might, he might have won everything, but he's not going to ruin his his CV by getting on board with a, with a club that he doesn't think is going to achieve anything just for the sake of money. As I said, he could get money anywhere from other high-profile clubs who are more likely to achieve. Uh, historically than than Everton have been so he sees the potential Mashiri sees the potential I think then by by establishing those two things together you then are able to attract other players whether that be James or or, uh, Alan or whoever who also see the potential and then you start to get a moving force going forward yeah and then you've just got to keep building to that moving force. And then you start to see, um, you know, some achievements. It's still very early, but I have absolutely uh, no complaints about the Carlo revolution. As, as I said to you from the get-go, my view when you know, were talking about Eddie Howes and, and Ferguson, and, and to be honest, I thought Ferguson absolutely changed my opinion of him. Um, when he, when he managed everything, and i and I now uh have more respect for him now than I did when he was a player, put it that way. But nevertheless, um, my view then, my view in business is you get the right person for the job and you pay them the right wage if you want the right outcome, yeah. Uh, and that's the only way to achieve it. Um, you know, put money into possibles and has beens and maybes is opening up the risk assessment to getting possibles and maybes and nothing back. Yeah. And, you know, we've done all that. We've tried all that. It ain't worked. Nobody's come with a wand and said, right, you know, I'm going to change that. We, we spoke earlier about Leeds and, and that manager coming in and, and playing all this attractive football and this, that and the other. But they're still getting beat. Yeah. And they're going to have a struggle staying in the Premiership this season because that negativity starts to build down and people leave and there's injuries and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, I, I wouldn't like to say, to say it this far, he, he is the missing link. But he is one of the key elements that you need for a successful side in the current climate. And um, I'm thankful that he made the decision to come to heaven because, you know, he's he, he he shares the vision and it's sharing that vision that will take us forward
0: spot on spot on couldn't agree more couldn't agree more well before we finish up uh, it's been absolutely fantastic certainly a a dream of mine like i said ever since i started the channel two years ago nearly three years ago my dad's always been the first person i've wanted to get on i wanted his Everton story i want him to come on and tell all the stories that he's always told me to everybody else obviously we done the tour of his office during the first lockdown and everybody seemed to love that um just to round it up then I think this is going to be a question I'm going to ask everybody on the podcast towards the back end of it. Favourite Everton player you've ever witnessed?
1: Well, there's been a lot in the years that I've watched Everton. Um, But um, if you ask me to pick my all-time Everton player, I would have to say Neville Southall. Um, I would have to say that that bloke had more natural ability um, confidence and, and and swagger that I'd seen from a goalie in my lifetime up until uh, him signing and playing for Everton you know I, I think um, he changed games he he won Everton um, riches uh, by his, his sheer audacity and the saves he made were, were breathtaking, and and he was ahead of his time in in in, in having that level of ability. You know, if we look back at some of the you know Gordon West and, and all that, you know Southall, and and it's since not been matched. To be fair, um, so you know you've got a good when you know he stands out from what you've had in the past, and then. You know 20 years later, you're still thinking, 25 years later, you're still yeah, still think well, 30 years later, whatever he retired, uh, you're still thinking, um, oh my god, we've never quite got back to that level, yeah. I know we, we, you know, that I don't want to go into the Pickford debate, but um, we've not got back to that level, and 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 as I said, that was just he was he was unique, <laughs> yeah, and, anyway, and you've heard him speak, I've heard him speak. You know, uh, there was lots of tales when he, when he, he when he, even in that successful '80s team, um, you know, after winning whatever, whatever um, it was, whether it was a game or a, a cup or whatever, uh, Southall would just get in the car and drive back to Wales and never went out celebrating. Never, uh, you know, never hit the town. Never did any of that stuff. Just went back, did his job, and went on. And if you look at it, you know, that that was ahead of its time as yeah. well, because now all of that stuff is, is, is frowned upon because you're professional and you should look after your body and you shouldn't drink and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't do the other. Um, it could have been regarded as antisocial at the time, but you can only get away with that when you've got a shed load of ability and you're the first name on the sheet, Yeah, you know. Um and he was, he was unique. He's still outspoken, in, you know. Still, um, not necessarily well liked at the club, as I understand it, um, because of his outspokenness. But he only has Everton in his heart. Yeah. You know, he's he's only, you know, he's very supportive of Pickford. You know, he he only has Everton best intentions. And again, like Kay, like Campbell, like Arteta, like like you know. Um, Baines he's not from the region you know he he came in and 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 he's an adopted son of Everton and you know um he he is a son of St Domingo and you can't you, you you cannot underestimate where we could have been if he was allowed to play more football in Europe he wasn't and again I'm not going down that road he couldn't get there with Wales because you know, because they you know they weren't particularly good. So his career didn't really flourish in, in 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 the way it could and should have done for a player with that much ability for the reasons that we've said. But he you know he kept on and and you know uh, for me his consistency over the time I watched him and and his um his support of Everton since retirement um, makes him my my personal um all-time great although i've watched a lot over the years
0: you know what i can't really disagree with that one to be fair for a player who was so good like you said so ahead of his time kept Everton in a lot of games won Everton a lot of trophies clearly it meant a lot to him um, and it's just very, very, very sort of simple and I'm here to do a job, I'll do the job and, and I'll go home. Sort of similar to like Leighton Baines a little bit in terms of, you know, you hear some of the stories about Leighton Baines, he just used to turn up for training, he'd be the first there, he'd be the last out, he'd you know just be playing his guitar in the in spare time and he'd go home he wasn't really interested in any of the um you know the other sort of stuff that maybe the other lads got up to he just was there to do a job and, and that was it and that was what big nev was like and he is a, an everton legend and always will be well dad we'll, we'll wrap it up there then a, a big big thanks for coming on and being part of the first episode of the park End podcast the first of many 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 episodes uh before we wrap it up have you got anything to say before we before we go
1: um, I think, you know, again, it, it, it's difficult for me to, to, to be in your shoes because you're 22 years old and haven't seen Everton win anything at all. Um, and I've been spoiled, but I'm a lot older than you. And the only thing I can say is, you know, um, you're now at a time with the club uh, when it's on the cusp, yeah. in my personal view, of... Um, Rekindling all that they've got a new ground coming up. They've got an internationally renowned manager who wants to be at the club. They've got a billionaire backer. They're starting to build a team. They're starting to build momentum. This is a very these are very exciting times. Whatever um, if everything comes to fruition, if they get the ground on the waterfront and 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 all that, you you, you the whole image and persona and footprint of Everton um, is going to change dramatically in the next, you know, five years. Uh, that's my hope and that's my my vision. And, um, you know, I, I hope it develops in the way everybody wants it to develop and, and Everton get back to where, in my view, they should be um, and, you know, the younger supporters. Um, by which time you won't be that young, and then you will be me and me moved on. There'll be another younger group who are yeah. moaning about not seeing Everton when anything, uh, but they'll start to uh, see some payback for the anguish and the anger and the anxiety and the heartbreak and the disappointment and and whatever that makes us who we are. And, and you know who we are, are, are. You know we're born, we're not manufactured. So with birth comes problems. You know you choose your. You choose your friends but you can't choose your family and and it's the Everton family that you can't choose so there are always going to be swings and roundabouts. That's it
0: absolutely spot on spot on couldn't agree more and hopefully when I'm 60 odd years old and I'm in your shoes I can say okay my, my life mightn't have started with success with Everton but it certainly you know there was success throughout the uh, the later years of it well anyway that has been the first episode of the Park End podcast uh, as my dad mentioned earlier he doesn't have any social media he's not involved with that no Twitter no Facebook no Instagram none of that so if you want to get in touch if you want to comment and, and you know ask questions or anything like that the best thing to do is to comment <laughs> in the comment section of this YouTube video if you're watching or listening on Spotify or uh, iTunes I think you can leave reviews or comments on there as well so get involved in in the comments if you if you're wanting to you know um ask anything about the the podcast or the things that were spoken about or my dad's having experiences or maybe something we haven't touched on get it in the comments like I said he hasn't got any social media links or anything like that so I can't um uh, can't link them but he would definitely be will be reading the comments and if not I'll be showing him the comments anyway so get involved in the comments section um, if you if you want and if you've enjoyed it if you have enjoyed it please do hit that like button don't forget to subscribe to the Mighty Blues as well these podcasts will be video formed on the Mighty Blues and then of course over uh, it'll be the Parkin podcast on Spotify and, and iTunes and all of that good stuff so you can listen in your car or on your way to work or whatever you want to listen but a big big thanks I hope you have enjoyed this first episode hopefully we'll have another episode up with in the next couple of weeks please please do hit that like button if you have don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new once again a massive thanks to me dad here's the reason i'm an evertonian so if you watch the mighty blues and you love the content and you're involved with all the live streams and you know a lot of people have given me a lot of support over the last two years and i really really do appreciate it and if you are one of those people I'm here doing what I do because my dad's brought me up in Evertonian and more importantly he's brought me up to realise that even when it's crap it's still Everton and you've got you put up with it and you go again next week and you know hopefully when we're all sitting here doing the game review of the Champions League final in three years and Everton have won it you know we can look back on on all of those times where it was a little bit difficult with a with a smile but anyway big big thanks for watching or listening if you've been listening uh please do leave it a, a like a, a rating a subscribe share it as well that would mean a great deal to us um and yeah we'll see you soon
1: bye